0: Welcome back, Northerners. Today's case is going to be one that probably goes down in the history of Canada as being the most gruesome and violent and disturbing murders that I think has probably ever happened in our entire history. So buckle up. I am about to tell you about the killing of Tim McLean. Hey Northerners, a listener's note. The following episode contains coarse language, adult themes, and content of a violent and disturbing nature. The opinions expressed in the following episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Northern Blood podcast. Listener discretion is advised. unspeakable story of the guy on the Greyhound bus as this case has been dubbed it's not just shocky with the gory details though there's enough to go around it's really about victim and family rights as opposed to the killers it's about what's wrong with a broken criminal justice system and this strange world about forensic psychiatry it's about proper public protection the gruesome murder happened on a bus loaded with 38 passengers it was July 30th 2008 and I will tell you on a side note I actually took a greyhound literally the day or two after that um and I was probably the most scared I'd ever been (laughs) um the guy on the Greyhound bus was Vince Weiwen Lee, who was a 40-year-old Chinese immigrant to Canada who had left Edmonton, Alberta, eastbound for Winnipeg in the province of Manitoba. The innocent and unsuspecting victim was Tim McLean. He was only 22, a carnival worker heading home for a break. Uh, around 8.30 p.m., Greyhound 1170 was an hour west of Winnipeg on the Trans-Canada Highway, and that is when the hellish horror happened. A Greyhound made a rest stop at about a half hour earlier. Vince Lee was sitting near the front. He got off, he had a smoke, and then reboarded. Now Lee had moved towards the back of the bus. Carefully, he looked at each passenger before reaching the second row from the rear. Tim McLean sat on the passenger side by the window. The aisle seat beside him was vacant. Lee turned and made eye contact. Tim smiled and he motioned an invite to the seat. Lee slowly sat down and then Tim leaned back against the window with his headphones on and drifted off to sleep. Other passengers described Lee as unremarkable up to this point. He'd been quiet and distant, and now a passenger across the aisle saw Lee's behavior change. He fidgeted, he started a low Chinese chant, and without warning, Lee pulled a bowie knife from his pack and lunged it into the sleeping Tim's neck. Tim let a blood-curdling scream out. He tried to fight back, but Lee didn't go into frenzy. Rather, as shocked gasping witnesses described, Lee robotically plunged the blade into Tim's shoulders, neck and chest, over and over and over. Terrified passengers screamed for the bus to stop and massed for the door, and now Lee had Tim on the aisle floor, and he was still plunging and plunging. The driver braked the greyhound bus to an emergency halt. Everyone bailed off except for Lee. Tim was clearly dead but Lee wasn't even close to finished. Petrified passengers stood outside as traffic whizzed by. Aghast they stared at Lee and he sogged and he hacked and then Lee stood blood dripping from one hand and Tim's severed head by the hair in the other hand. Women shrieked men puked Little kids cried, and as teens tried to capture it on their phones, then Lee, expressionless behind sunglasses, came for the door, presenting Tim's decapitated head. Presence of mind from the driver prevented Lee's escape into the crowd. He blocked the door, but police were miles away. A passing trucker gave men in the in the group tools as weapons in case the cycle got out. They used a crowbar to jam the door shut. Lee paraded the aisleway of the bus with Tim's lifeless head, back and forth and up and down along the parked Greyhound aisle. Then he went back to work. Lee opened Tim's chest up and tore at his organs. He removed Tim's heart, his lungs, his liver, and then ripped out his entrails. Every piece of Tim's body was defiled and strewn about the bus. But it got worse. Vince began to eat Tim McLean right in full view of the audience. Lee digested Tim's eyes and part of his heart. He cut off Tim's nose and both of his ears, smelling them and licking blood from his fingers. But Lee came prepared for this slaughter. Not only did he have the knife, but he also had plastic bags to store separate items. Packaging pieces for, I don't know, future purpose? Part Jeffrey Dahmer, part Norman Bates, Vince Lee carried on. Police and emergency responders arrived in mass. They contained the scene, attempted to reason with Lee. It was senseless. Lee continued to dissect Tim's body and present parts for four hours. Armchair SWAT members later crucified police for not shooting Lee to stop his butchering rampage, but the police held at bay. They tried to negotiate with the crazy man holding a knife, but you simply can't kill a deranged man in this situation. Without warning, Vince Lee made a break for freedom. He smashed out a window and leaped to the ground, meeting jolts from a taser and teeth from a dog. Lee was cuffed and it was over. The standoff, that is. The crime scene was processed and witnesses were isolated. They took Lee to a secure hospital. He had also been injured in the attack. Standard police procedure even for as bizarre a crime as it was, but the aftermath was awful bus passengers were severely traumatized. Some still haven't recovered today. That includes emergency personnel, professional people who were present and exposed to his trauma. But the biggest sufferers were Tim McLean's family. Not only did they lose their loving son, brother, cousin, nephew, friends lost a guy who would give them the shirt off their back, never mind a laugh from their innards. None of them ever got justice. Tim McLean was an innocent young man. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time and a victim of circumstances much like the pedestrian creamed in a sidewalk by a drunk. Looking back, there were strands of fate bringing together these two men on that Greyhound bus. But could it have been prevented? Vince Lee was born and raised in China. He earned a degree in computer science and then immigrated to Canada in 2001. He settled in Winnipeg and worked in Edmonton. Over time, Lee's marriage declined and they separated. Lee had one brush with the police for weird behavior. Records are sketchy about his mental assessments. Seemed he was an undiagnosed schizophrenic, not prescribed the right medication. Nor was he taking any when he boarded that Greyhound bus. Lee held minimal paying jobs at Walmart and did paper deliveries. He recluse like so many mentally ill people do. Lee was fired in Edmonton after a strange interpersonal altercation that caused him to board the Greyhound for Winnipeg. He had no family, no friends, no support, no supervision. Vince Lee was a ticking time bomb. Vince Lee moved through the justice system very quickly. It wasn't only the dramatics, there were plenty. He got international attention. This case opened a Pandora's box containing the issue of long-term criminal responsibility by the mentally ill. In the early stages, everyone in authority agreed Vince Lee wasn't operating in a normal mindset. The police, the prosecutor, the defense, the psychiatrists, even the judge. No one argued that. They were quick to form a conclusion without exploring the entire circumstances in a full and open trial. But Tim's family had no input. No one in authority listened to what impact his brutal murder had on Tim's family and friends, not to mention traumatized witnesses on the bus. It's the overall picture that's never been put to rest. That includes whether it was concisively proven that Lee was out of his mind and had no concept of what he was doing to Tim was wrong. It also, the overall concepts of punishment, holding an offender accountable no matter what their mental state is, ensuring the public is properly protected from future danger. Then there's respect and support of the victims. Vince Lee spared Tim McLean's family a lengthy trial. Lee claimed he was not criminally responsible due to mental illness and the court brought it without calling traumatized witnesses and family members to the scene. They relied on expert opinions from forensic psychiatric witnesses who were clinically detached from the scene. Judgment passed that Lee was not criminally responsible or NCR for Tim's murder due to psychosis caused by untreated schizophrenia. He was quickly locked up in a secure hospital facility where monitoring and treatment commenced for an indefinite period. Untold time and money were spent in rehabilitating Vince Lee. They put him on medication under various therapies. They even helped him change his name to Will Baker. But nothing was done for Tim McLean's family or the traumatized people who watched Vince Lee butcher Tim. There was very little regard for the public's protection that Lee, who is now named Will Baker, would be permanently locked up like the law should allow. It was left to the system to deal with Vince Lee, and that system is made of people, and people are flawed. On March 5, 2009, seven months after Lee took Tim's life, Vince Lee was found not criminally responsible due to mental illness. He was shipped to a secure treatment facility. Most of the polled public agreed that this was the right decision. Like, how could he kill someone, dismember a stranger on a bus, and be in their right mind? Warehouse Lee, they agreed. Keep us safe from the guys on the bus like him. He's crazy, just never let him out. When the criminal court system washed their hands of Vince Lee, the mental health system took over. Their mandate is to recover someone, not to punish or deter them. Public protection is low on their scale. Success in mental health is measured by restoring someone to a healthy state and maintaining it. That's a noble goal for psychiatry, but a dangerous gamble for society. Once they got Vince Lee in the system, the experts went to work. There were extensive videos and transcripts available on hours and hours of forensic psychiatric interviewing, trying to get inside his head. He says, God made me do it. I was an evil son of an evil God. God chose me as the killer. God chose Tim as the victim. God controls things. God made me do it. It took a bit to get Vince Lee's medication right and stabilize him. He wasn't in a normal functioning state of mind when he killed Tim McLean. But he wasn't truly out of it. Vinsley knew exactly what he was doing and he remembered it. He described Tim's gruesome murder detail by detail to his forensic psychiatric team, just as a serial killer confesses to detectives. You can argue lack of intent due to mental capacity all day long. Vinsley got on that Greyhound bus, prepared to kill. He bought that knife, he bought those plastic bags well in advance. Lee now looked for an opportunity to use them. No matter what his mental state was, that showed planning and premeditation, Lee wanted a victim and Tim McClain was it. Something to consider about killers. They can be very, very good actors. Famous killers like Gacy or Bianchi were masterful manipulators. They told investigators and profilers exactly what they wanted to hear. Lee might be a small player in the world of murders, but he's not unusual. There are many dangerous offenders in mental institutions, but there are a few who did what Vince Lee did to Tim McLean. Now that Vince Lee was out of the courts and jails, he was in the care of a mental health worker. Lee was controlled and they adjusted his medication. They got him to function in an apparently normal state, began testing his response to freedom by slowly integrating him back into society. It was their mandate. Public protection was not. He'll be all right, they said, as long as he stays on his meds. By June of 2010, 15 months after Lee was absolved by the criminal justice system, he started supervised release. Two years later, he began unsupervised leave from the hospital, but only for short periods. Bit by bit, Vince Lee was put back on the street. But 2015, Lee was in a halfway house and only monitored for medication. Finally, on February 10, 2017, Vince Lee was declared completely stable and reliable to function on his own, including regulating his own meds, even though all psychiatrists agree schizophrenia is an incurable mental disease. A forensic psychiatrist was quoting saying at Lee's release hearing that, in his opinion, Lee had only a 0.8% chance of relapsing. How in the world he came up with that figure is beyond me. Maybe he moonlights as an actuary. Today, Vince Lee is a free man. There is no system oversight. He's not accountable for his crime in any way. It's exactly like it never happened. And that is wrong. The flaw in the criminal legal, not justice system, There is no respect for victims like Tim McLean and his family. This is not criminally responsible due to mental disability. Loophole has gone too far. There has to be some kind of permanent restraint put on potentially dangerous people who prove they're capable of violent acts. The flaws disrespect protection of society. They neglect victim and family rights. Carol DeShelley is Tim McLean's mother, and she'll never get over this. Carol and Tim's father, Tim McLean Sr., never got to say goodbye to their son. His body was completely unviewable. Carol has said, Lee has an incurable disease that makes him do terrible things. I believe he needs to be in an institution that addresses those needs. I don't think it matters if you're mentally ill or not. If you kill someone, you should lose your freedom, period. To the average citizen, this case is more than a tragedy. It's a travesty. And how the public should be forced to take a chance on an unsupervised nut who committed the most barbaric act of public murder, cannibalism, and most gruesome murder in Canadian history, if not North American history. I've never heard of it. It's plain stupid, and it's too high of a risk. Vince Lee, or Will Baker, is free on the street. He has no family, no friends, no support, and no supervision. He is a ticking time bomb, just like he was before he killed Tim McLean. Katie was Tim's sister, and her victim impact statement was devastating. And it basically states, I am Katie, Timothy's baby sister. I suppose that is where I will start. Tim and I were very close growing up together, and as we were only a couple of years apart in age, we come from two happy homes as my parents have divorced and remarried. I have many siblings, but no matter which home I was staying at with, so was my brother, Tim. I can remember growing up and playing games together, getting in trouble together, fighting together and loving together. Tim wasn't always the best big brother, and I'm sure most big brothers are not at some times, but he was always there for me when I needed him and he was always looking out for me and the friends I would associate with, and for a long time I never appreciated that because I always thought he would always be here for me and now I no longer have a big brother. I can still remember receiving that devastating phone call that July evening. I'll never be able to get my parents' screams out of my mind. I will never forget dropping to the floor and having my friends, my common-law husband Brad, pick me up while I tried to catch my breath. Brad and I were supposed to be starting our vacation together that Friday after Tim was murdered, but instead we ended up packing up as fast as we could so we could come be with our family. Brad started driving from our home in Edmonton while I tried to come to terms with the reality of what has happened, which to be honest, I don't think I will ever be able to come to terms with any of this. We drove for 13 hours throughout the night after working all day until we pulled into the driveway of my childhood home, only for me to look at Brad and say, I can't get out, I can't go see my parents, then to find out that the media was parked out front of my family's house in the city and that I would not be able to go and see them until the next day, which broke my heart in so many pieces that I would not be able to be there for them, they were not able to be there for me when I needed them. Tim called me that night, getting onto the bus as he needed directions to the Greyhound Depot. Because of the horrific mutilation that Mr. Lee exercised on my brother, I will forever live with the regret, guilt, and question of why. Why did I give Tim directions? After hearing the soul-killing details and descriptions of what happened to Timothy that night, I wasn't able to eat for what I believed to be 5 days, if not more. Because I didn't eat anything for that length of time, I was severely sick. I had such a bad stomach pain and I couldn't even stand up straight. I am still not able to sleep throughout the night without being awakened by the haunting images that will forever be burned into my spirit. I have had to reduce my work week as it got to the point where I was so late every other day and my co-workers had to pick up my slack. I was so tired and still unable to sleep or to stop my mind from replaying the images of seeing my brother suffer or calling out for help. Worse, I am not able to stop seeing specific details of Mr. Lee defiling my brother's body. It has been extremely difficult to try to move forward with my life. I have had to fly or drive back to Winnipeg on several occasions to be with my family over holidays or for court appearances and counseling find it difficult to enjoy life's simple pleasures or certain aspects of my future. I will not have my big brother at my wedding and my children will not have their Uncle Tim to spoil them. Mr. Lee took him from us and you, Lee, will have to leave with the demons and the guilt of what you have done. And then there is also his mom's victim impact statement which I thought I would read as well. She says, I would like to thank you, Your Honor, and the court for allowing me this opportunity to attempt to put into words the effect this crime has had on me. Timothy was a very alive person, probably the most alive I've ever known, and had the privilege of being his mother. He had a very active, adventurous, and vibrant life. He literally radiated energy. The last professional portrait that was taken of him was a month after his 22nd birthday. I always had trouble pinpointing Timothy for any appointments, especially photos, but there he was, smiling that smile with that glint in his eye that always made me wonder what sort of mischief he'd be up to next. And now that light that was Timothy's life has been snapped out in the cruelest, heinous manner possible by you, Vince Lee. Nobody else, just you. I believe you're dangerous, and why would I believe otherwise? You have demonstrated that very clearly, no doubt. That night in July when I was informed that the young man who suffered that horrible death on the back of the Greyhound bus was my son, I literally wished I'd just die too. I couldn't imagine us surviving when my child didn't. My heart completely shattered and I ached to the core of my soul. I struggled every day to appreciate my own life and wanted to continue to go on and to honor Timothy's memory by cherishing the memories instead of allowing the all-consuming sorrow to just swallow me up. Because it could, and then this evil would claim me as well, and I cannot let that happen. Besides taking my beautiful boy's life that night, you took my sense of security. I'm often afraid now, in crowds, parking lots, when I'm alone. I'm suspicious of people because I just don't know what anyone is capable of anymore. I have a great difficulty sleeping. You can see I have this vision in my mind of my son's lifeless head being vacant with being tossed around that bus, There are many more images that enter my mind as I try to rest, they are all very clear and vivid thanks to the merciless and very graphic descriptions that the media and some witnesses provided. Sleep does not come easy, and when it does it's not for very long durations. Food, another basic life necessity, no longer provides the same pleasure as it used to. I feel sick to my stomach every time I eat, although I know I need to eat to stay strong for the days ahead and for the rest of my family. Even having to use a knife in my own kitchen for meal preparation conjures up horrible pictures in my mind and those thoughts can sometimes be crippling. I cannot leave my home to drive into the city without seeing at least one Greyhound bus and I wonder, is that the bus my son was slaughtered on? Did they ever get all that blood out? I don't want these thoughts, they just come. And since I have to travel the highway to get to the counseling and therapy sessions I require to help me cope, what choice do I have? Have you ever experienced loss so profound that you were unable to breathe? I have. For three days, I found it nearly impossible to breathe as the descriptions of what happened to my Timothy came out and I was so horrified that I couldn't breathe. I finally asked the RCMP to tell me in full of all that was done to my son so that I wouldn't continue to hear it in bits and pieces and that all was left of my boy at the end of your rampage. I can no longer tell my remaining children to be careful and make sure you get home in one piece. I can no longer laugh our heads off or our guts out. These used to be such innocent phrases of now they have such ugly meanings for me. My mom used to tell me I'd forget my head if it wasn't attached and I can no longer deadhead my flowers. Medically speaking, there is no medication that can treat the wounds inflicted upon a person's soul. My body still functions as it's meant to with the addition of aches caused by stress, headaches, caused by stress, digestive trouble, caused by stress, insomnia, caused by stress. I take a handful of supplements daily and see a chiropractor regularly to help with these issues because I do not want them to be prescription medications that I need to take if I can avoid them. They make me feel too forgetful and confused and I would be tempted perhaps to take them all at once and what would that leave my other children with? In the early days of this nightmare, I was given lorazepam to allow me to breathe properly and sleep. My husband was always asking, where are your pills, Carol? I just handed him the bottle silently as I knew what his fear was. Financially, we've never had a lot of money, always enough to take care of our children and our bills. I'm on long-term disability now, which is significantly less than my salary was. I drove a school bus and now I do not possess the patience, confidence and ability to concentrate what is required to safely transport other people's children my husband is the person who taught timothy how to use a hammer and a paintbrush how to ride a two-wheeler and helped him with his homework the stress of timothy's vicious murder is taking a toll on him and he's currently reducing his work week to allow a chance to grieve and take care of myself and our younger son kendall the two girls live far away and it's difficult not having them close but we'd worry if they lived with us unprovoked That's the word that would forever stick in my mind. It could have been anyone, anywhere, anytime, and it wasn't. It was July 30th on a bus on the number one highway less than an hour from our home when you tragically ended my son's life, and he did nothing to die for it. That is a promise. And then, last but not least, Tim Shelley, which is Tim's stepmother's victim impact statement. I would like to thank your honor for allowing me to share in court today the impact of Timothy's murder on my family and me. Life has changed forever. It will never be the same. During that last week of July 2008, I was looking forward to enjoying my two weeks of vacation. It had been two years since my last vacation and I was greatly in need of some R&R. When I heard the thud of my wife dropping to her knees, her cries of no, don't say that, the panic and confusion took hold of me. As I watched my wife... Her heart completely broken, her inability to catch her breath. She wept uncontrollably and kept repeating, this isn't happening. My son screamed, it's not true. He hung his head and his tears streamed down his face. A feeling of helplessness came over me and an inability to comfort my own family as pro as present. I could not believe the news the RCMP gave us. My tears would not stop. Sleep did not come that night, only memories of Timothy. He was a vibrant young man who succumbed without choice to this brutal attack. Disbelief, this can't be happening. Disbelief consumed my mind. In the days that followed, I could not read or listen to the news. The media was graphic as they vividly described the decapitation, the defiling, and the cannibalization of Timothy's body. Timothy had no hope in defending himself from his attacker, you, Vince Lee. I felt angered at the loss of Timothy and outraged at the news I heard. Questions ran through my mind like why didn't someone help or try to stop the attack? Why weren't Lee's actions stopped when the police arrived? Why did Timothy have to die? Little time had passed since Timothy's death. I struggle along with my family to cope every day only to endure more sleepless nights. I've taken time off work only to find that my mind will not shut off. The images and detailed descriptions haunt me. I become more and more emotionally and physically drained. I see the same toll on the faces of my family. The ringing in my ears has yet to subside. It has been there since that last night in July. The doctor says there's nothing wrong, but the ringing persists. It is hard to cope with everyday life as scenes from that night continue to run through my mind. So many things trigger the memories surrounding the utter horror of this situation. These triggers remind me with the deep sadness of all the moments and milestones in life Timothy will never have the opportunity to experience or appreciate. It's a struggle every day to avoid falling into depression and swallowed up by huge waves of emotion. I find it all impossible to say goodbye to Timothy. Prior to cremation we were informed that we'd be unable to hold Timothy's hand one last time. The only confirmed, the images in my mind and the truth in the details of his grisly murder. All I could think of was Tim's heading out the door with his cheerful phrase, See you later. Only memories remain for me. Memories of teaching him to ride his bike, helping him to tie his shoes, evenings of homework and the weekend camping trips. These memories and so many more are all I have to cherish for the rest of my life. It's hard to believe the days of making memories with him are gone. The wedding and the children he'll never have. The words of wisdom and support I can no longer give him are gone forever. You Vince Lee have a chance to regain what you lost. To get back what you had, I only have memories. Memories of a person who was a son, a brother, an uncle, a cousin, a nephew, a grandson, and a friend. He was a good person whom I can never have back. Timothy was a person who was full of life and hopes and dreams, a person who I was proud of, a free spirit. You have destroyed a piece of everyone that knew him and loved him. His anticipated journey home tragically ended. How does a person go on? How do I answer the question from other people is that true? Did that really happen? I struggle to keep the tears back. I have to subside and sidestep people. I know to avoid questions. I now have troubles in crowded places. I'm suspicious of strangers and their actions. Going out now means repetitive trips to the city for therapy and counseling. It is unrealistic to put a time limit on healing. I see and hear other people's accounts of how this murder has affected them in their lives. These actions have unrelished pain and suffering that will go on in the lives of so many people. This is and will be the longest, hardest journey getting back to an emotionally stable place in my life. People tell me, give it time, things will get better. At this point, I don't think so. The pain is still as sharp as the day it was inflicted on me and my family. I don't know if that will ever subside. One question I keep asking myself, if you are not criminally responsible, then who is? A man used a knife to slay my son. That man was you, Lee. You did it. Nobody else. Nobody else. I fear that you have the capability to reoffend, and that means another family would experience the horror and agony that my family has had to endure. I cannot understand how one individual can inflict so much pain on so many people. How does one measure impact? Does scale measure, measure it? By feelings and emotions, maybe it's measured by the laws of life to an extreme violence. However it's measured, let me assure you the magnitude of impact is more than you could have ever imagined, and I believe you are responsible. So Tim's mom has actually taken um, things all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada, um, trying to pass something called Tim's Law, which is actually trying to abolish um, the NCR, not criminally responsible uh, verdict. Um, She has done all she can, um, and I know that it is hard for her. She's trying to fight for Tim and trying to fight for what's right and so that this doesn't happen to another family. Um, Unfortunately she's just reached this standstill point and unfortunately she just has to keep fighting. In order for this to get past and in order for us to make an impact um, she just needs to keep fighting and I know that it's tough and I know that she misses Tim and this is her way of trying to keep Tim's legacy alive. Um, so thank you for listening to this case I know it was a very very gruesome one and I apologize for that Um, but in order to do Tim justice all the details need to be out on the table so that you truly know what kind of a dangerous offender Vince Lee or Will Baker truly is Um, there are multiple multiple documentaries done and shows done if you're looking for more video content um but just know that there are things you might come across on the internet that can be very very gruesome more gruesome than hearing them described in a podcast so just please be careful when you are looking for those so thanks for listening to episode five of the northern blood podcast um and stay safe out there northerners Thank you so much for listening. Every case I talk about is so important and deserves the attention. If you could kindly share this podcast with your friends, that would be amazing. If this is the first time you're listening to Northern Blood, thank you. I would love for you to go give our show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Now stay safe.